What's it like to grow up as a smart girl? Finding Your Brilliance. I'm your host today, Catherine Quee. I'm talking with my friend and writing partner, Amy Hallberg, who's the author of the award-winning book, German Awakening, and the founder of Courageous Wordsmith, an organization that guides emerging creative writers through their narrative journeys. Hi, Amy. Hi, Catherine. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. And you know, we've been doing our writing talks, uh, our you know, when you and I meet and talk, I haven't been able to see you lately. So it's so great doing this. Yeah, we usually sit down at a coffee shop table and unpack all sorts of like realia artifacts, like for our prompts, and we talk that through and, and I do miss that I miss that in person writing that we do together. I do too. And and you know, I I'm so glad that that you're willing to talk about smart girl stuff. Today. Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, you know, because it is something that's slightly taboo talking about intelligence. It's something that I can relate to being someone in my neighborhood that's a very smarty neighborhood uh, by the University of Minnesota. Like I've said to you, having a child who my son is is quite smart, but in the areas that show up, like accelerated reading and those kind of things, he was behind. And so for me to be able to talk with someone openly about what it's like being the kid who was ahead mm. in those areas, it's a particularly interesting topic. Okay, well, so first of all, you know, and thank you for letting me talk about this. It's it's a passion of mine. First of all, let me disillusion you a little bit. I think in your neighborhood, it might be really fun to be the smart kid. But in my neighborhood or in the place I grew up, it was very isolating. And other kids' moms were watching me and how I did and, and comparing me. And their kids would come back. And I just kind of knew that everybody was watching me. The thing about being the smart kid is a lot of times, a lot of times, gifted children are neurodiverse, which means that a gift may show up in the way that is rewarded in terms of grades and so forth, but it can be very limiting in other ways. So for example, your son is brilliant. For the readers, the listeners who do not know, he's my podcast editor, and uh -huh. Will and I get along famously. And Will was, you know, I've told you this for years, reading your book, I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally have ADHD. I totally have it. And you were like, yeah, you know, you can't diagnose yourself. And then Will, you know, listened to it, and he was like, yeah, she's totally ADHD. And I'm like, yes. The difference he is- listened to your podcast, and he- Right. You can right. hear, yeah, I kind of wander, you know, but then I come up with this stuff. The difference between someone like me and someone like Will is that I am really good at words, at writing, at spelling. So if you look at what's on the page, I was able to do the things that were rewarded in school. Yes. I was very compliant as well as a girl. And so I learned what they wanted me to learn and I learned how to take tests. There are a lot of ways in which I grew up where I really could have need I could have used some help 
that wasn't provided to me. There's almost this resentment among those moms who are watching you that, oh, you can't provide gifted services because those kids already think, who do they think they are? They already think they're better than everybody anyway. When the truth is, I really could have used some guidance making friends, like social skills, or those areas of myself that weren't top of the chart that I hid rather than looking at them because you do not want everybody to know that you're not a genius in all aspects of things because that's the thing you're hanging your hat on. Yeah, you articulate that so well. It's so cool for me to hear you talk about that. Well, one of the things I'm curious about is how did you know that the moms were watching you? Like how their kids would come back and tell me. So I grew up, yeah, I mean, like, and the moms didn't hide it. Like you would, I could see them watching me. I'm actually, um, I mean, like I learned to play the school game, but I'm, I'm highly intuitive. That's one of my gifts is I just pull information. It's not that I study a lot. I mean, I can, but I just, I just pull information out of my atmosphere. I'm very, very attuned hypersensitive, which is both a gift and a curse. I mean, I don't know if I'd call it a curse. It's a shadow, let's say. I grew up in a very small suburb just south of the Minnesota River where it was very isolated. And there were people that had been there for a long time. We moved in when I was four. I didn't belong to maybe the church that had been there forever. So there were a lot of ways in which I was an outsider. And I felt it. I think at this point, I would say there's other ways in which I was an outsider too. But the one that really distinguished it for me was I knew they all knew my grades. And they commented on it. People, moms would comment, kids would comment on my grades. And, and, you know, these would be people. So like, I might get an A minus, which was really hard for me, because that was the one thing I thought I had going for me. And some kid who'd gotten like straight C's would mock me for it. And those grades don't help you make friends <laughs> right? or learn your best learning. You know, you would hear kids would say, mm, you got an A minus Amy, something like that. Yep. Wow. And the social piece, how old were you when you recognized that social things were different for you or a little harder? <laughs> so I write about this in my book, kindergarten. Like I didn't know I was smart. Not really, because my brother is a genius. Like, he's a climate scientist. My brother's a genius, right? So I didn't know I was smart. Like, I've got a lot of smart people in my family. I showed up at kindergarten, and it turned out that I knew how to read. And so they shunted me down the hall to first grade for for reading lessons during the time when I would have been socialized, the playtime. Okay. I missed the part where I would have connected with kids. So all the good stuff happened while I was down the hall in reading lessons. I loved reading lessons, but I wasn't there playing with the other kids. So it was really, really visible that I wasn't there. And you started reading at like three. Yeah, (laughs) because Sesame Street, I, I picked this up later. So Sesame Street and Electric Company on PBS, and they were always on. And I would just wander in and out of the room. Like I wouldn't sit down and do it. Cause like I said, I don't study as much as just I sort of read the environment around me and they they were always talking about really cool things. Like one thing I remember is a cue that was crying because it had lost its you because a cue always goes with a you in English, right? Like things like that. I love that. It was just so playful, right? Yeah. You're making me miss Sesame Street. I think that was electric company, but yeah, they were just so good. I loved it. Yeah. School was not necessarily as easy for me. It was learning what was learning what was rewarded, 
And there's a lot that gets missed in those grades. You know, so I, I mentioned my brother, he's a genius and everybody knows it. And yet my mom tells a story of how when he was in middle school, I guess we called it junior high back then, they like took these writing samples from kids to identify kids with learning disabilities. And by looking at his writing, they identified him as a kid with a pretty severe learning disability. And in fact, if you know my brother, he reads really slowly, meticulously and just like reads it once and has memorized it, right? But he has to write really slowly to like to, to write nicely. And they they looked at it and they were like, oh, well, he's not learning disabled. And so they threw the test out instead of realizing, no, this is a brilliant kid who compensates for weak areas. (laughs) We all have areas of strength and weakness, all of us. And so the, you know, smart. Yeah. Nobody's ever accused me of being stupid, but I have lots of glaring weaknesses that I've learned to befriend. Well, and what we know about neurodivergent kids, which would include gifted kids, is that learning disabilities are are greater in that group than the Mm -hmm. typical population. So your brother could have used writing help. And instead, he was lumped into this brilliant boy. You know, Mm -hmm. no, he can't, that can't be him, which from our discussion was probably stressful for him. Yeah, I don't know. I we he and I really haven't talked about that. But yeah, it's entirely possible. I mean, I could have used help with social skills. I am self-taught in terms of social skills because, you know, like, and, you know, if you'd have met me when I was a kid, I was very physically awkward too. So like a lot of times kids that excel in one area, they're maybe a little slower to catch up in another area. And, and this can contribute to perfectionism. And in fact, a lot of the women in my writing community are like, former A students who have learned to go, forget that because what being an A student does is it limits your actual creativity, Yeah, right? It's, it's trying to fit your gifts to somebody else's expectations. And in so doing, you cut off a lot of your potential for actual artistic expression or your fullest expression of your gifts. It's actually working to your zone of excellence as defined by other people to the expense of your zone of genius. So when did you start showing more of your creative side and feeling like, I don't need to do right all the time. I just want to be me a little more. Funny thing. I mean, like it, it happened in stages. So like in, co- in high school, I very much needed to be the valedictorian. And because of how it was set up back then, I was able to do that. It was it was structured to my strengths at that time. In college, I went to a, I went to Carleton College, which is a highly selective school with a lot of smart kids, and I was far from the smartest. And I had to start coming to terms with, look, I'm never going to be the smartest one here. I'm not even close to it. So I really started focusing on what I loved doing, which at that time was learning languages. Mm. As a language teacher you know, we teach what we want to learn. So as a language teacher, I worked on deconstructing or reconstructing grading practices for my students first. And it wasn't until the very end of my teaching career when it became, you know, a lot of the things that are happening in education right now 
came to my world first in terms of the overload and the, and the expectations just by nature of what I taught. I taught German between a couple of schools, a couple levels of German. Like it was so crazy. I couldn't do it well. And once I couldn't do it well and everybody was seeing me very publicly not doing well, that I just went, ah, to heck with it. <laughs> They're going to take up all my time anyway. I'm going to be a writer. And that's where you and I met actually, Catherine, is I was just like, forget it. If I'm never getting sleep anyway, then at least one of the reasons is I'm using up my own time and I'm joining this writing apprenticeship where I met my beautiful friend, Catherine Queen. Oh, yes. <laughs> it, you know, and as we're, as I'm listening to you, one key thing that stands out from what I know about you is when you did the valedictorian speech in mm-hmm. high school, it was a creative speech. Mm. Well, it was yeah. not your typical because you integrated the wall and Germany and lots of it, it, it. To me, it feels like it was we've never talked about this, but it feels like it wasn't your typical speech. Well, that's an interesting point. Thank you for bringing that up. So, yeah, you, you know what? I missed I missed a step there. When I was 16, I had a German exchange sister who was paired to me, come over to my house and stay with my family. It was almost like she was observing what was going on in my little world. Like she was sort of taking notes and sort of pointing them out and going, hey, do you see this? So a lot of what you talk about, I'm aware of because my German exchange sister, Afa, helped me process from an outside perspective. And the following spring, I went to her house. I was 17. It was West Germany, the Black Forest. And I stayed with her. And I was... So we don't start, I didn't start learning German until I was in ninth grade, which is what, 14 years old? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I'd had two years of German and some change, and they had had English for a long, long time, right? They started, I think, fifth grade at that time was when they started. So Afa was far ahead of me. She was able to process in English at a pretty high level, like for the kinds of questioning I needed to do. And so I went there and it was kind of like I became a little child again. And like Afa was my little surrogate mom talking me through how you behave in German society. Like, Amy, when you did this thing, here's what you could do differently or whatever. And she helped me to start to, I wasn't smart. I mean, I was, I was sort of smart, like, like I was picking up German and I was trying, but I was at such a deficit that again, when you cannot be perfect, you yeah. actually get to be creative and you actually get to play. And so, yeah, the speech I gave was about the Berlin Wall, um, you know, and I didn't believe the Berlin Wall would ever come down at that time, but I saw it. And I talked about protesters who said the wall must go, you know, so these protesters at great danger to themselves were in East Germany protesting that the wall must go. And I was saying, you know, we in America have a lot of walls maybe metaphorical walls that yeah. we're a little afraid to tear down too. So yeah, I'm really proud of that speech, but it came through me. It, I didn't overthink it. It wasn't, I didn't write an outline. Like the outline of it, the shaping of it came later. And, and as you were talking about Afa, what's so beautiful is that she coached you socially. Yeah. And she helped you. There was something culturally, it, it's something. Yeah, Germans will do that. Germans will help you see what's going on. They, they can be very blunt. She was very kind about it, but, but Germans can be blunt, but they'll tell you what you need to know. Yeah. 
she told you things and which is part of why you trusted her. I think she was so straight with you and so also complimentary. I mean, because I've read your book, I know some of, I love that idea that, you know, clearly I know she's a physician and she's a very, very smart, but in a different way, clearly there's lots of smart girls, but no, when you're placed in these gifted realms, like I didn't stand out. And that's something that I think is what we're, we're really talking about with kids like you, the ones that are pulled out or recognized. There's the there's the cool part, but there's the really tough part. And you and Ava was there for you. Well, you know, the interesting thing that I found out later, and I actually want to speak to what you just said, too. So remind me to come back to it. The interesting thing about Afa was later on, I thought she was so socially adept. But the truth is that she had moved to that school herself, not long. So she hadn't been at the school where I went to see her in Germany for more than a year or so either. And so she had gone through some of the social adjustments that she was teaching me. And additionally, some of what she was pointing out to me, she knew because she grew up in Germany And her mother had been a displaced child in World War II. And so like, you know, she just had a very different experience because she was the child of basically a displaced war refugee. And I don't even know her dad's story, but I know it didn't, it wasn't good for him. Like that was their childhood. So she, she had a very mature role in her family where she was, you know, her mom didn't graduate from medical school until I think she was maybe like 12 or something like that. So she had a lot of responsibility. So she was in a place to do that. Yeah, it makes sense. And the, the other thing I'm, I'm feeling like that would be helpful for me, because I've seen you progress, like when we were in forward together, I saw some of that social piece where you were just like, you know, all of us were thinking something and then you would just say it, you know, <laughs> and it wasn't always well crafted. Right. But I've seen you since, you know, when was that? That was like, five. how many years ago was that? Uh, we joined forward in January of 2012. Right. Okay. So <laughs> I've had the benefit of seeing you grow into being a business owner, someone who's writing your next book, uh, who's developed groups and all kinds of things for writers and other creatives. Say more about how you've founded more of the adult smart girl. I mean, yeah. So one thing that we know about trauma is that if we don't heal it, we show those markers of it and they come up. Even as an adult, in places where I was comfortable, those awkward things maybe wouldn't show up. Mm -hmm. But in a writing situation where I still felt like I had to be smart and I was learning to write and, you know, I mean, so when we showed up for the Ford program, I mean, everybody's like, oh, you're a great writer. You're such a pretty writer. Yeah, well, that wasn't good enough. And that's not actually what I was there for anyway, is for everybody to tell me how smart I was. But that was a really challenging experience for me because I didn't actually know what I was looking for in the writing to to make it a higher level. And so I suspect, and also groups were always, I've always been good one-on-one. I figured out, you know, at a certain point, like, I connect with people one-on-one and that's a safe place. And then I relax and then you get my natural me, but groups were a little bit more dangerous because in the group I was 
sort of the one who stuck out. Yeah. So even though I was invited in that forward program, um, and I do, I am a truth teller. I totally am. It's, it's who I am. I can't, I can't not be, although tact. <laughs> but, um, and wh- why, why am I telling the truth and what's my purpose in it? But when you haven't healed an aspect of yourself, which I hadn't, which I did through the writing, well, that little nerdy smart girl is still five years old in kindergarten yeah. and everybody's all still looking at her because she read the thing on the wall and then the teacher made fun of her and they all, you, you know what I mean? Like, so like you revert back to those things until you heal them. Yeah. Right? You've done so much healing work, Amy. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's, that's why I am so, so I, I taught kids German because that was my path towards healing. And then it came to a point where it was like, well, I can't do that anymore. Like I've done what I need to do here. It's time to move on. And so I feel like writing for me has been a place to really own both my great gifts and also the places where, yeah, that's not who I am and let that go. And as a writing mentor, what I really am passionate about is helping people get to the stories that they want to tell as opposed to the stories they think they should be telling. Yeah. That's what we do for each other when we talk. Mm-hmm. On mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing is, you know, so like a, a socially awkward kid like me, one of the beautiful blessings of that, a gift of that is that I started to be able to say, okay, these are not my people, but instead of focusing on that, but I could go, Ooh, you are one of my people. And you will remember that I did that in the writing program. You and I at a certain point turned to each other and said, you're one of my people. Which was so funny because we didn't recognize it at first. Oh my gosh. No, we didn't seem to have anything much in common, did we? Except that we were both, you know, around the same age and had kids and whatever. But, and that's the other thing, right? Telling our stories, writing our stories moves past that superficial to a place where you and I actually have a lot of convergence. It's just, it wasn't visible from external roles. Well, and even now when we write, well, when we were meeting in first person before, you would say how many chapters you would have your color coded organized folders and you would, you know, turn to me and say, okay, so how many chapters do you have? And I would say, I have no idea. (laughs) And I would... (laughs) And the look on your face would be so funny because you were like, are you kidding me? Like, (laughs) but I wrote about this in a blog or something the other day, how you get there the way you get there. You absolutely get there the way you get there. Yeah. I don't think I would say it in those terms anymore because we all have our own path in. Yeah. You know, and this is what I wanted to come back to before is that you know, it drives me a little crazy when you, I mean, I understand growing up, you were not identified gifted. That's not, you know, like I had that little gifted and talented label, which was pretty much all I had, you know, you're good at languages and you're gifted and talented, but you are one of the most. mm. So when I think of you, I think of somebody who is really kind and who is very astute about social things. And you've dedicated your entire career to helping kids to navigate the path that I'm talking about, to find their place. You are so good at looking at people and seeing them. And so 
I, so my kiddos have ADHD and probably me too. And I diagnosed that by reading your book as we went along, right? Like I'd be like, uh, that's my kid. Uh, that's my other kid. Uh, crap. That's me. <laughs> and the way that you're able to take these really big psych terms, because I tried to be a psych major for a quarter there, Catherine, it didn't work out so great, right? You can describe these psych things in a way that makes it accessible to somebody like me. You know, I get lost in the gobbledygook of all the, of all the words, right? But I read your thing and I go, oh yeah, that's me. So you have a different gift that wasn't necessarily acknowledged as giftedness growing up, right. but you're brilliant. And, and, and I challenge you, like I'll arm wrestle you over that one. Oh, well, I think that is a, that is a sweet way for us to, it, it coincides with the title of the podcast too. So thank you so much for joining me on Finding Your Brilliance. Today, my guest was again, Amy Hallberg, the founder of Courageous Wordsmith and author of German Awakening. If you would like to play in Amy's free writing salon, that's what she's calling it, her writing salon, check her out at write, that is W-R-I-T-E, that kind of write, write write.courageouswordsmith.com. If this topic speaks to you, you can find out more about me on my website, KQADHDANDU, that's A-N-D-U, the letter U.com. Again, thanks for listening. And until we meet again, just remember that we each have our own brilliance. Sometimes it just takes a while to find it.